we're going to continue our look at the book of Mark today. We're still in chapter 1. And if you're new with us and you haven't got one of these books of Marks, uh, you can wave your hand and the ushers hopefully will be able to see. It's a pretty good crowd in here today. Uh, but they will give you one of these books. It's free. Ushers, if you can just be scanning around and when you have a moment, uh, circulate some of these books at, at the least uh, at the end of the um, of the message, you can pick one up on your way out. And it's got the book of Mark with these little notes pages so that you can take notes on each message. Uh, We will be in this study for the better part of a year. Uh, probably more than a year. We're still only in chapter 1, and I think we've been at it for about 4 or 5 weeks. So we're going to continue with that today. Uh, Something else, for those of you parents who have young children, like 5 or under, and you're in the room and you're you're stressing a little bit because they may start making noise, uh, we have a new thing downstairs where we have a live feed with audio and video of the service right downstairs, so you can bring your child down there and they can cling to you, but you You can watch the service at the same time, all right? So that's brand new. And also remember, next week, you set your clocks forward, spring forward, or you will be an hour late, which means you won't make the service, okay? So remember to set your clocks forward before Sunday morning next week. Right, so we're in Mark chapter 1. We're looking at verses 21 to 34 today. Uh, We've been introduced to Jesus via John the Baptist. He's been baptized in water by John. He's been tempted in the wilderness. And last week he begins to call people to follow him. And today we're going to look at the ministry of Jesus in action. Mark chapter 1 verse 21. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Uh, Luke's account says he cried out at the top of his voice, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him in Luke's gospel sternly, it says, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of the man. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Verse 28, And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. 
And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. We're going to look at three aspects of the ministry of Jesus today. His teaching, his authority, and his power. Jesus' teaching was at first, uh, the first reaction to it was astonishment. Verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. It was the Sabbath day, and the custom back then was for the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, to go into the temple and to teach. Uh, And Jesus did the same thing. But it's interesting that the first reaction to his teaching is not comfort per se. He's not tickling the ears of people. It's not marked as being pleasant, but it's astonishment. That's the first reaction that people have. And uh, Mark tells us the reason why for the most part. And remember that Mark uh, is probably the interpreter of Simon Peter here. We have it on very good authority that when we read Mark, we're looking at the heart of Peter and the pen of Mark. And uh, to, to mark the reason why this teaching is so astonishing was because of its authority. He taught them as one who had authority. When the scribes would teach, when the teachers of the law would come into the synagogue, when the Pharisees would stand there and expound on the Tanakh, the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, they would, for the most part, quote from venerable rabbis of the day. So they would say, this rabbi interprets this passage this way, and so it should be interpreted this way. It would be like if I said, well, Pastor Smith says that it should be this way, and so it is. Or Pastor Bill says it should be this way, and so it is. Or Billy Graham says it should be this way, and so it is. And this is the way that they would do it to justify their position on a given passage of the Old Testament. Well, Jesus didn't do that at all. He comes in, he teaches the scripture with great confidence and with great authority. He doesn't need the backing of any rabbi. And this would have been astonishing to the people because he's, he's declaring that he has the authority to interpret scripture. That he has the authority to teach it and he doesn't need support from anybody else's opinion. This would have come across as very brash or and cavalier or even arrogant to some of the people who heard him. It certainly wasn't uh, a message that they sort of fell asleep in uh, and thought, well, nice message. There was quite a reaction that happens. Not only is his teaching authoritative and astonishing, it is new as well. So verse 27, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. Well, what new teaching? Uh, Last week we looked at it a little bit in chapter 1 and verse 15. Jesus starts his ministry by saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is his teaching. 
Well, the kingdom that they would have been looking for was a very, very different kingdom than what Jesus was teaching about. Jesus is talking about a kingdom that takes place in the heart, where the heart is changed, where there's repentance and faith. But these people in Galilee, they're looking for something entirely different. They're looking for a kingdom where the king will overthrow the forces of Roman power. Uh, where there'll be a political change, where uh, the Messiah, if he is the Messiah, he will usher in a kingdom of power, not just a kingdom of peace, but he will do so in a violent way. This is what they're expecting. And if you're back there, back then, you have reason to think that way. Uh, Some 200 years before, the Jewish people would witness one of the greatest uh, victories, uh, a violent victory, to overthrow the Seleucid Empire. And back then, we had a fellow by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God in the flesh, very, very nasty Seleucid ruler who did unspeakable things to thousands upon thousands of Jewish people, who went into the temple in Jerusalem, profaned the temple, and took power there. And there was a revolt that took place under the Maccabees. And there was a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus who led this guerrilla warfare revolt against this wicked empire, this Seleucid ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes. They called him the hammer. Uh, Judas Maccabeus. And the story goes that they retook the temple, that they conquered the Seleucid army at 165 BC, and uh, they lit the flame of the altar and the candelabra in the temple, and there wasn't enough oil to keep it lit. And God, the story is told, kept the thing lit for a full week. They still celebrate this today. It's called Hanukkah to the Jewish people or in the Bible, the Feast of Dedication or Lights. Only 200 years before the incident we're reading about here at Capernaum. So they're expecting if this Jesus is the Messiah, his kingdom is going to look like that. And this is not at all what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a kingdom of change in the hearts of men and women first and foremost. And this is the reason why many rejected him back then. And it's the reason why many reject him today. They say, where is the kingdom that he promised? And they fail to understand that there's a first coming of Jesus and there is a second coming of Jesus, isn't there? This is what we celebrate when we take communion. Not only that Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus rose again, but that Jesus is also coming again. His teaching is new. His teaching is authoritative. His teaching is astonishing. On the subject of authority, the next bizarre reaction we see to Jesus in the synagogue is something that we've never seen before in the pages of the Bible. In the words of Mark, we have a man who comes into the synagogue and he has an an unclean spirit. It is a very curious commentary on the city of Capernaum that probably this fellow would come to the synagogue week after week after week with the same problem and nothing happened to him. He wasn't, he wasn't healed. He wasn't delivered. Just the same, same thing week after week after week. Oh, there's that guy coming in with the, he's a little strange fellow, you know. Sometimes he, he acts bizarrely. Maybe he had a reputation. We don't know. Uh, but whatever was going on in Capernaum, it didn't help him until the Lord Jesus steps into the synagogue that day. And this man has a reaction, uh, apparently an involuntary reaction, and he cries out at the top of his voice, What do you want with us? 
Or what business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus does something that we've never seen before in the pages of Scripture. He immediately muzzles this evil spirit and commands it to come out of the person. And the person is convulsing there on the ground and cries out in a loud voice and out the spirit comes apparently. And the person is healed. They're delivered of this, this rather strange uh, uh, incident in their life. They'd never seen anything like this before. I assure you that the people in the synagogue were sitting there with their mouths open in awe watching this. This is the first time in the entire Bible that we see this happen. And uh, Mark is going to talk about this often. Lest you feel a little bit weird right now. And you know your skin is feeling like your, the back of your hairs on the back of your neck are sticking up. Well Mark he talks about this often in the book of Mark. Maybe Peter was impacted by some of these things that he saw under Jesus ministry. Uh, but you're, you're going to see this mentioned often in Mark. We need to pause for a moment here and acknowledge what's going on. Uh, Mark is teaching us that Jesus has authority over even the world of the supernatural. And back then in the, in the Middle East, in the first century, uh, the worship of the occult was not uncommon. Yes, I know that we're talking about Jewish people and they're not supposed to do that. Well, they did anyway. Uh, and it was, it was available to, to the entire Roman Empire. Tiberius brought in astrology. There was all, there's all kinds of evidence that we find in archaeology that people dabbled in this stuff. Uh, on the screen behind me, you're going to see a picture of that. Uh, that uh, is a bowl that dates very old. It's a little bit older than the story you read about in Capernaum, but not significantly older. And uh, this is a famous piece of pottery. We see many of these things in archaeology. And written on the inside of the bowl is an incantation in the Aramaic language. Presumably this was in a Jewish home. We know the name of the fellow who, uh, whose home it is. His name is Babai. And uh, these, these uh, bowls were placed in the corners of homes where the cracks were in the walls. And they were buried in the sand face down at night because they there was this belief that demons were some, would somehow sneak into the house at night. And so they would put these bowls there and write these incantations in there to trap, as it were, the evil spirits and protect themselves from it. And uh, there is a translation to this text, but it's very creepy. So I will not read it to you, okay? Uh, but it is evidence that this stuff was definitely very, very real in the time of Jesus, uh, and lest we think that, well, you know, that's back then and the people were, you know, they're a little, a little bit unintelligent back then. They believe in all this superstition. You know, maybe they smoke too many magic mushrooms. That's nonsense. Doesn't happen today. I would challenge that. And the scripture would challenge that. That world of the supernatural that we sometimes get a little uncomfortable dealing with is a very real world. And it's dealt with in very real fashion in the Bible. And in particular, in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, a modern day story uh, in my own life when I took a team to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And there we served with our missionaries, uh, Michel and Louis Charbonneau, in a somewhat rough area of the city of Port-au-Prince. 
And uh, where we were living there and some of the experiences that we had there as a team, there may be one or two team members who are in the audience today uh, who experienced those with us, very unusual. Uh, uh, the religion of voodoo is very prominent in Port-au-Prince. And we had been told about this sort of thing in advance, and we went in there uh, as a team, uh, as prepared as we could get. But there were some unusual things that happened in that journey uh, that I experienced personally. Even though the the place where we were staying uh, was very well protected, there was an iron uh, gate that would lock shut at night. There's barbed wire all over the place because of the amount of theft uh, that takes place in the area. And there was this guy who you'll meet on the screen... Uh, who was protecting us at night. And uh, he's a very nice gentleman. He looks very intimidating. I told him to pose and look angry uh, that night, okay? And uh, so he did that, and I think he still serves there. And this gentleman would come uh, when the sun set with his shotgun loaded and his finger on the trigger, and um, he would guard the place at night because thieves would jump over the wall even though there's a wall. And, uh, and so there's a couple of guard dogs as well. And if he would doze off at night, uh, the, the dogs would, of course, bark and wake him up. And he was ordered to shoot uh, if he needed to shoot. So we were very well protected, humanly speaking. Uh, but I remember some things that happened on that trip that I have no explanation for to this day. Uh, I can remember in my, my room where I was sleeping with my roommate, Aaron, who may be here. He may be serving with the kids downstairs. And I can remember my ear was about six inches from an exterior door uh, that had been sealed shut. And uh, I remember one night, late at night, uh, that there were some strange noises coming from this door. It sounded like someone was picking the lock six inches from my ear. And uh, I need to tell you that in, there are very few things as intimidating uh, as the sound of voodoo drums. We would hear them often at night in the area because there were witch doctors and all this other stuff that was cooking. Uh, and so we would, we would sometimes hear those noises. Very, very intimidating. So I'm trying to sleep and I hear this picking of the lock sound six inches from my ear. And so I turned to my roommate and I said, do you hear that noise? Someone's trying to pick the lock. There's a thief that got through the guard somehow. Where's the guard? And he turns to me and he says, go to sleep. There's no noise. And I said, yes, there is a noise. I can hear the noise in my ear. So he says, go to sleep. And I lie back down and trying to sleep. And I hear this noise. It sounds like a lock picker is six inches from my ear. And he says, it's nothing. Maybe it's a rat chewing at the thing. I said, well, I'm going to prove it now. So I get up in my pajamas and take my cell phone and, you know, turn the little light on on the cell phone. And I'm shining the light outside the window to look for this alleged rodent. And there's nothing there. And I said, I'm telling you, I hear this noise. And, you know, my heart is pounding through my chest. I'm frightened by this noise he says oh I don't hear anything I don't know what it is the the only thing that could get me to sleep that night was to pray by the authority of Jesus that was the only thing that could get me to sleep other weird things happened on that trip I remember I was in the back area working with our team putting together benches uh, for the kids that lived there and uh, we were we were working together and I was taking pictures of the team and I put my foot through a beveled piece of concrete that I knew was there and I was taking a picture and I just put my leg right through it and it cut my shin and there's blood there and it went right into a septic tank so my leg was was you know from the 
toes to my to, to, to the top of my quadricep was covered in this stuff and it was cut. And uh, a, a kid who lived there on site, the same thing happened to him the same day. And he lived there as if he should know where the, where the little piece of concrete is. And so he tried to get cleaned up and disinfected and all that. And of course, it probably was infected. My foot swelled up like a beach ball. I could barely put my shoe on. You know, I was trying to hide it from the team because I didn't want them to think that I was too scared. You know, and, and uh, I thought, well, I have two legs. If we have to cut one off, I'll keep another one and that'll be that. Strange thing happened. We're out at, a, at the, the flea market there, the iron market as it's called in Port-au-Prince. Large, large flea market. And I get out of the truck that we're in to go shopping for this weird stuff that we were buying, whatever it was. And, I, and my hand is hurting me. You know, and I turn and there's a bee stinging my wrist. I have been stung by a bee in 30 years. I'm looking at this bee stinging my wrist and I flick the bee off like this and he leaves a stinger in my wrist. It's a quarter of an inch long without exaggeration. I take the stinger, I hold the stinger, throw it out like this and I'm thinking, what is, this? is there some Pastor Joe voodoo doll that people are sticking pins into? What is this? Am I going to drop dead now? And I turned to the missionary and told the missionary, he said, oh, well, it's a Haitian bee. You've got about 48 hours. You might as well enjoy it. <laughs> Strange series of coincidences. The only explanation that I have is there, there were people in that community that we were staying in who knew what we were there for, who knew what God we were serving, and they didn't like it. And I tell you, these things are real. They are a reality. But the greater reality is, guess what? Jesus has authority even over that realm. And he shares that authority with the believer. You don't need to be intimidated. You don't need to be afraid. The Lord Jesus still reigns even over that strange world that we don't see. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Amen. Well, the event created quite a stir in the, uh, the whole province of Galilee, verse 28. And at once his fame spread throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Amazing. No cell phones, no internet. And within a matter of hours, the whole, the whole province is aware of what went on in this synagogue. It's amazing when there's action and something is happening, how quickly people find out. Quite a day Jesus spent at the synagogue, it would lead to even more, and that's where we look at his power. Jesus goes immediately to the house of Simon Peter, and remember Peter is probably the heart of the gospel of Mark, and his brother Andrew is with him, and James and John, the brothers Zebedee. These are the four guys who were called uh, in the previous verses of chapter 1, and we go to Peter's house, and his mother-in-law which means he was married, for those of you who may come from a Roman Catholic tradition, okay? He was married. His mother-in-law is bedridden with a high fever, as Luke calls it. This would have been a little bit scary back then. No antibiotics, no penicillin, none of that stuff. So when someone was in bed with a high fever, you could have serious problems. And Jesus takes her by the hand and instantly heals her. As if 
effortless, no work required, right there in the house, in private. So, and all of this is taking place on the Sabbath day, where you're not supposed to work. So Jesus delivers a a person who has this evil spirit in the synagogue, in public, and then he's in private, and he deals with this physical ailment and heals this woman in private. Both displays of power on the Sabbath. This is apparently no barrier to Jesus. He has authority over the spirit world, authority over the, the, the physical world. There is a power there that people would have looked at and said, who is this man? Is there anything that stops him? We sing about unstoppable God. Well, this is what the people would start thinking when they see this type of authority, this type of power that this man has. The sun goes down, the Sabbath is over, and we've got the whole town of Capernaum gathered at the door. Because they heard about what happened in the synagogue and they say, well, we, we know a lot of people who got problems. They're sick. They got all these other problems. We're going to bring them to the house. This is where he supposedly is. Let's see, if, let's see what happens. Let's see the action. And what happens is amazing. He heals many, Mark says, who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons. Luke says he lays his hands on each person and heals them. And the way Mark writes it, various diseases, many demons. Well, we say, well, how many diseases? How many demons? What kinds? He doesn't even give us the detail. As if to say there is nothing, there is no barrier that Jesus cannot fix. There's no disease, no illness. Not even a demon can stop him. He has all authority, all power. It is completely without limits. In a church, you usually get an amen with that. Do you know why? Because the same Jesus who did it then has not changed today. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is it a magic formula? No. Can you quote some scripture and make him do what you want? No. But God still heals today. God still delivers today. God is still all-powerful. He still has all authority. And I don't know what your, what your need may be in this room. But God, it's not, it's not intimidating to him. There's not any situation that's in this room, in anybody's life, past, present, or future, that is a problem for God. He's not intimidated by it at all. So if you need him... If you need him to be involved in your life because there's, you've reached the end of your human rope. You can't do any more with the situation. Well, I tell you, God is right there at the end of your rope. There's another application that's a little more disturbing in the story. And it's about this town, Capernaum. It's a bit of a tragedy. Because Capernaum, when you look at it throughout the Gospels, it is a town of religion, but religion without a relationship with God. Lots of religion going on. Uh, have you noticed how Jesus refused to let these, these unclean spirits identify him? Verse 25, Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent. He doesn't want them to speak. Um, he would not permit, verse 34, the demons to speak because they knew him. 
Well, if they knew him and they knew who he was and they were saying who he truly was, why did he want them to keep quiet? Why did he want them not to speak? He, he did not want these demons to involuntarily identify him. But they had no choice but to acknowledge who he was. Uh, and they have no choice today to acknowledge who he is. James says, even the demons believe and shudder. So the idea is, the, the, the reactions of these things is involuntary. They're, they've made no voluntary decision to follow Jesus. But this is what Jesus wants. This is what he wanted from the town of Capernaum. This call to follow me is what he wants to be uh, obeyed. And the miracles are a display of his power and who he is. They're to inspire faith. But in Capernaum's case, they did not. Even with all these miracles, it was a town that lacked true faith. Why is there no account in Matthew or Mark or Luke of people coming to faith and following Jesus through all these things that happened? Because they didn't have it. In fact, what we see in the Gospels is the reverse. Matthew chapter 11 verse 20, Jesus has some of the strongest words of condemnation for Capernaum that you'll read anywhere. He began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, wicked cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, verse 23, will you be exalted to heaven No, you will be brought down to Hades. Wow, is that ever strong. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, i.e. Sodom and Gomorrah of Old Testament lore, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. This is a strong condemnation that he has for this town. Because despite all the miracles that he did and the people who were helped, there was no faith there. And this can happen when there's religion, but there's no relationship with God. And Jesus is calling for you and me to voluntarily obey that call to follow him. To drop everything that we have and put our, our lives down for him. And to say, Jesus, I will follow you. This is the simple obedience to the call that we see in chapter 1. Repent and believe the gospel and follow me. I don't know where you're at today, but I would guess that there are two groups of people that are in the room. There are those of you and you say, I am a follower of Jesus. I have submitted to that call. But there are things that are present in my life. I have no control over those things. Uh, it's not like I'm, I'm the cause of them. I'm living my life for the Lord. But I tell, I tell myself and I tell God that if he doesn't intervene in a given situation, there's nothing else that can be done. I'm at the end of my proverbial rope. I have no solution to the problem. Can I tell you, that's where, that's where God wants you to be. That's where the answer is. 
Because he's able to solve whatever problem. He's able to heal whatever ailment. He's able to deliver whatever needs to be delivered. But you've got to come to that point where you say, I can't do it in my own strength anymore. And God is able, he's able to minister to multiple needs even at the same time, regardless of the variety, regardless of the intensity. And then there are others of you who are in the room and you say, you know, I'm here because I'm curious. I'm here because a friend brought me. But I know in my heart that I have not followed the call of Jesus. Can I challenge you today? That call still remains. Though it be 2,000 years old and we read about it in the book of Mark, it's still just as real today. Jesus presents you with a choice today. What will your choice be? Please stand with me and we're going to... Uh, close the service in prayer and uh, we will give you a chance to be prayed for uh, at the end when we dismiss. I'd like the elders if they would come immediately and uh, come and stand at the front and be ready to pray for people maybe in one of those two groups. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus and uh, the man, uh, the Son of God, the Holy One. Uh, the one with all authority and all power, uh, the one who who came to us, God in the in the manger, uh, God who became flesh, uh, God who died on the cross for us and rose again and and is coming soon. Lord, we praise you for salvation. We praise you for your authority and your power. Uh, Lord, you know each one in the audience today. And I pray that wherever they're at, God, that they would uh, take more steps toward you. Uh, steps of faith uh, in, in any situation, uh, be it for salvation or for more than that. Lord, we just pray that your power would be real uh, in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The front is, is open and uh, the elders, I hope, are coming. We need some more of them. And if you want to talk, uh, I will remain behind as well. The Lord bless you. Have a great Sunday. Remember to set your clocks back next week and uh, have, a, have a great week at the same time. God bless you.